Live. 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 Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle! Follow me! Follow me to freedom! Here's your host, Mike Phillips. So the Just End the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports off and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I know I told you guys last week we would have a Mets offseason preview. Don't worry, that is still coming later this week. But we are having a special bonus episode of the podcast this week. The NFL is having a lot of COVID issues right now. There are a lot of positive tests going on. The Broncos are forced to play a game without a quarterback. The Ravens and Steelers games are postponed twice. A lot of issues going on here. We brought our legal guy in, Phil Fryetta. We're going to... Talk to him about what's going on there in the NFL, some of the various issues, and what the NFL may have to deal with going forward because it seems like they want to go ahead. Will the governments let them? We'll talk about that in just a bit. I'm also going to throw in our Mandalorian recap here as well. I recapped episode five of season two of The Mandalorian, The Jedi, with my buddy Kevin Lillis. That's coming up at the end of the podcast. But we'll talk to Phil about the NFL's problems right after this. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. We are talking about the latest coronavirus-related troubles in the NFL. Join me today, our legal correspondent and, and a guy who's sort of become our go-to guy on all these COVID-related sports issues. Phil Freyetta is here. Phil, how are you? Good, Mike. How you doing? Pretty good. I'm sure you're probably feeling about fo- better bo- about football today than I am after that game. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, no, uh, I'm... It's, I'm glad to see some wins, but it's a little bit of a, a false hope. You know, uh, four and seven is competitive simply because of the division they're in. Um, if they were in any other division in football, you really wouldn't care about the result today. So, uh, so I guess it's a yes. You know, I'm happy that I'm going to be watching some competitive football, but I just hope that the Giants and their fans don't. Uh, don't take too much away from this. Uh, they're, you know, they're kind of, they're improving. I give them that, but they're, they're lucky that they're playing in a weak division and they're playing a pretty soft schedule as of late too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think they're going to win it next week in Seattle, but I still think they got a great shot to win this division because the Eagles are just completely falling apart. And I don't, and the Cowboys are dead now too, I think. And I think it's certain they have a head to head on Washington. That's huge. Yeah. Look, uh, you want to prove to me that you're for real, Go win in Seattle. Uh, go win some of these tough games that they have to play. I think they play. They still got Baltimore on the schedule. Beat those teams, and then I'll believe it. But uh, but I don't see that happening. Especially, I mean, now that it looks like the quarterback's going to be out for a couple of weeks at least. Yeah, right now it's the Colt McCoy show of the, of the Giants, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about the latest NFL coronavirus-related positive. Not affected the Giants, but they're affecting plenty of other teams. And I think this week we've seen sort of the league has sort of hit a brand new crisis point with the COVID. Yeah, uh, th- this is bad now. Now now you've reached the point that you and I had talked about uh, back when we did this over the summer. Well, what do you do if you reach this point? That's exactly what happened. Now, you today you had a uncompetitive professional football game played. Uh, the Denver Broncos were in no position to play professional football. They didn't have a single quarterback on the roster who was 
eligible to play based on the COVID, and the results showed uh, that they, you know, they played a wide receiver, a quarterback. Uh, I understand that he had some experience playing quarterback in college, but you can see the difference between the program and the college game. Uh, that that wasn't a football game today. Yeah, it's not. And we got a bunch of different angles we got to look at here. Let's start out with the ongoing saga here at the Baltimore Ravens, who right now, as of recording, have 20 players on the COVID IR and a lot of tested positive. Sounds like it's due to one strength and conditioning coach who decided he didn't wear, need to wear his mask or wear the contact tracing uh, software around his wrist. He basically infects a bunch of people. This game has been pushed back twice now. It started originally on Thursday night on Thanksgiving. Went back to Sunday one fifteen. Now back to Tuesday at eight. It sounds like the NFL is going to basically just go all full throttle ahead for the Raven Steelers to play on Tuesday. Avoid having to add the Week eighteen to the schedule. So, what's your take on what's been going on there? And don't forget the Steelers in this situation also have at least five players testing positive for COVID as of this point. Well, the NFL showed you. They showed you today really what this is all about, and uh, it's no surprise that this is all about the money. It's about getting. The NFL wants to complete the regular season on time, as you said. Uh, and, and part of that is for fantasy football purposes. They want to have the fantasy playoffs take place when they're supposed to take place. You get a lot of eyes on the TVs that way. Get a lot of action on the daily fantasy games. And then they want to go into the playoffs. They want the playoff revenue. And they've decided that they are going to do whatever it takes, uh, health be damned, in order to finish the season and, and that, that's what's going on that's why they played a game today where the Denver Broncos didn't have a quarterback on the roster uh, it, it's not it's not for competitive balance it, it's for money and they're going to do the same thing I think with this Ravens Steeler game if, if they can play it if it's feasible and by feasible I really mean possible they're going to play uh, obviously you know 20 guys on the team with COVID I don't really understand what, what we're playing here, but, but they're going to play the game and they're going to tell the Ravens, deal with it because we need to finish the season because we need that playoff money. Yeah, it's also the league's inconsistent too because earlier this month we saw the 49ers had basically six or seven guys like play on the short week and the NFL said too bad, play on. Whereas the Ravens were like, okay, we're going to push it back twice and just wait it out. I think, do you feel like this is because they had a bigger outbreak or if you're the 49ers, do you feel like, hey, we got screwed here? I think you feel a little screwed if you're the 49ers, but I also think this is the NFL recognizing the importance of of the game. I, I hate to say that, but that's what's going on. I think they know that this Ravens-Steeler game is very important in the standing. Uh, if the Ravens have any chance of coming back and winning that division, they got to win this game. And they want to give them every chance they can to go out there with as healthy of a squad as possible and, and keep it competitive. So I think that's exactly what's going on. Yeah, it's also something that you were looking at some of the guys that Ravens are not going to have in this game. They're down a couple of running backs. Lamar Jackson has COVID. Matt Judon, on their edge rusher, has COVID. Mark Andrews were on the list today. Willie Sneed went there today. Like, even if they're able to scrounge together enough guys to go out there and play football, like, the team's not going to be competitive. Well, probably not. But I think the NFL was hoping that, you know, maybe we push the game a little bit and we get lucky. Uh, somebody. Some, we get some negative tests back. We can get these guys in there. But, but yeah, that's, uh, th- this isn't going to be a competitive football game if they play it. But I think they'll play it because as I, I don't think the NFL cares anymore. They just want to get the season over with, get to the playoffs, and get the TV money. It, it's a real shame uh, because because this, this is a professional sport. I'm going to rant a little bit if you don't mind. But th- this is a professional sport. 
you're supposed to be seeing the best of the best out there. You're supposed to be seeing elite level competition and you're not seeing that. And, and the thing about the NFL that distinguishes it from college football or high school football is once you go and remove star players like a Lamar Jackson or, or even backup quarterback, forget star players. Once you remove NFL capable quarterbacks, the game doesn't work. It, it becomes a, a joke of a game. It's not a professional sport anymore. That's what you saw today with Denver. That's what I fear you're going to see on Tuesday night if they play this game. And, and it's a big problem that the NFL needs to address. It's different than probably any other sports in that regard where the drop-off of talent at certain positions, quarterback, left tackle, edge rusher, can make a tremendous difference in a game, especially quarterback. So you compare it to Major League Baseball, where the Miami Marlins put together a team of you know, mostly minor leaguers, but they were able to compete. And, and that's because it's a short season, and over a short season, the drop-off between uh, you know, Major League second baseman and a minor league second baseman is not enormous. But the drop-off between a starting quarterback and a practice squad quarterback is huge. And, and that's what you're seeing. And NFL needs to recognize that. They have to recognize that how, how are we putting this product out there for our fans? This isn't a game. Who wants to watch this? This isn't high school football where you can just plug in the, you know, the, the wide receiver. We're going to put him at quarterback and we're going to run the ball every play and it's going to be fine. You can't do that in the NFL. And, and it's showing. So the league is, in my opinion, handling this poorly. Yeah, I mean, early on, we saw they had a lot of issues with the games getting postponed. We saw what happened in New England with the Titans, how they had to basically change the schedule on the fly. And they said, no, no, we're not doing this anymore. So what they came up with was basically this idea of the close contacts where, okay, we're contact tracing as every day. And if player X gets COVID and he's in close contact with these three guys that none of them can play for five days, he's out for 10. And then we go on. And it seemed to work until we had this Raven situation. And right now, it's just, that wasn't something that seemed to work fine while the numbers were decent, but with, Coronavirus spiking pretty much everywhere. You just look at this, you're like, boy, we have a real problem on our hands, especially because after Thanksgiving, with Chris coming up, you would think those numbers would keep spiking. Yeah, uh, and and that's another, you know, and you got to get the NFL, I guess, a little bit of a break there. It's not their fault, but this was predicted. Uh, This was predicted by experts all summer that once the weather gets cold and once the holidays come around, COVID was going to spike. And that's exactly what's happened. It's happened all across the country, from New York to California and everywhere in between. So uh, it, it makes it harder to keep these guys uh, COVID-free. And, and sometimes it can be something uh, just completely idiotic, like, like the situation in Baltimore with a strength coach who decided that he didn't have to follow the rules. But other times it could be something just that seems innocent and mundane you know i went to starbucks to pick up a cup of coffee that kind of thing uh but but once you bring a virus like this into a locker room into a weight room and into a huddle it's going to spread and and that's what happened to the ravens that's happening with the Steelers, and it's it's i'm afraid it's going to happen all across the league really yeah and we've seen a lot of things happening here and the nfl is definitely conscious because this is a move has not gotten much attention but Right now, the league has basically ordered every team that's not playing in a game on Monday or Tuesday to work virtually for those two days because they know that we're getting a big Thanksgiving spread of coronavirus because people met their families and a lot of people were inside and not wearing masks and eating and spending time together. So the league knows this is a problem, and this is a underutilized factor. They're trying to nip an outbreak in the butt by having 
virtual world for these two days. Yeah, and and look, that's that's it's a good idea. It's it's something, but uh, but is, is it sufficient? I, I don't I don't know. I mean, they said that the incubation period for this virus is five days, so or sometimes longer. So you know, you went to Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday. So how do I, you could still have this thing on Wednesday the next week. Uh, so uh, it, it's an idea. It's it's not it's something, but the NFL's in in big trouble unless. Of course, they decide that, you know what? We don't care. We're going to put out whatever product we put out on the field. And uh, we're just going to truck ahead until we get to the playoffs. And we, we think that come the playoffs, people are going to watch, no matter who's playing. And, uh, and that's what it's going to be. But, but if I were the NFL, I'd be real worried because you could have a situation where, I mean, God forbid, but imagine you have a playoff game where a team starts to start the third-string quarterback because of something like this. That, that's that's a debacle. Yeah, because this is, it, it would be an absolute debacle, and we'll get to more of that stuff, but, like, one thing I've been thinking about with this whole situation with the coronavirus going on right now with the NFL is this sort of, the playoffs, as you mentioned, because they're, they seek, they kind of negotiate a little bit on the down low again, because everybody's paying attention to what was going on with the election and not really paying attention to the sports world. The NFL basically said, hey, we have an 18th week built in here if we need it, they're not going to use it if they only have to move one game. It's why they're playing so hard to get Raven Steelers in Week 12 and not have to alt schedule much more than that. But if a game gets outright canceled and they can't finish the full 256 for everybody, they're going to add an eighth playoff team in each league. That sounds like that's something they don't want to do. Hence, it's sort of like the break glass case emergency scenario. Yeah, uh, I I don't. I mean, I doubt they want to do that. Um, if they have to, they have to. And, you know, it may work out. It worked out. Baseball, I, I think it worked out. Actually, I think that the baseball players were exciting given. But that was different. You know, you had a short season here. Uh, I don't think the NFL wants to have an extra playoff week. But if, if they have to, they have to. It's, it's clear to me that they are going to do anything that they can that's within their power. Obviously, there are some things that are not in their power, and we're going to get to that with governments and all that. But anything that's within their power, they're going to do to get this season completed. That's what they're showing you. Yeah, they are. And we saw this today with Denver, with the situation with, in case people are not aware of what's going on with the Broncos, one of their quarterbacks, Jeff Driscoll, contracted coronavirus. The other three quarterbacks in the room with him one day did not have to wear their mask during a quarterback meeting, so they all got the in close contacts. They got sidelined for the game. The NFL denied Denver's request to push the game back a day so they can get somebody cleared. They also asked the NFL if they could let one of their assistant coaches who used to play quarterback play. They said no to that. So we had to elevate a guy a guy off of the practice squad. I think it's K.J. Hinton, I believe his name is. But he was a college quarterback. He was on Denver's practice squad. A month ago, he was selling insurance. He had not taken any snaps on practice or even thrown a pass until Sunday morning. And we saw what happened there. They attempted nine passes, completed one. The kid threw two interceptions. Denver had 112 yards of offense. The Saints rolled 31-3. to three. The spread of this game was a six-point spread. Joe and I both picked this game. He took the Broncos. I took the Saints. This was well before any of this happened. It ballooned to a 17-point spread. And what we saw was just not competitive football. That game was atrocious. That's what I was alluding to earlier. And, and that's to me, is unacceptable. You cannot have that happen in a professional sport. It's, it's just unacceptable. How is that How is that a competitive balance? And 
and it works multiple ways. Now I understand that Denver is not a competitive team and they're not going to make the playoffs. Fine. But New Orleans is a competitive team and they're in playoff races with a, with a lot of other teams. If you're, you know, if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, how do you not look at the league and say, that's not fair. They, they just, you gave them a game against the JV squad. You you gave our division rival a win, basically. Uh, it it destroys the competitive balance of the league. It's not fair, and it's, in my opinion, just the league really really screwed up here. They should have pushed this game at least a day, if not two days. Try and get a quarterback under center. Chances are New Orleans wins anyway. But at least then I have a competitive football game, and we could say, look, they had a professional quarterback play the game for them. That that didn't happen today. And I go back to what baseball did. If you remember the Miami Marlins had the situation where the whole pitching staff was out. And, you know, they they delayed the Marlins' season and gave their guys some time to come back because you can't, they weren't going to throw anybody out there to go pitch. They tried their best to get some major league caliber arms. And granted, I understand in baseball you have a big advantage that you have minor league system and there are a lot of guys there who are good enough to pitch in the major leagues. But still, you, you, I don't think you could have anything like what happened with Denver happen again today. Yeah, you can't. It's also an insult to the paying customers, and they still had about like 20,000 fans in Denver. And like those people pay NFL money and probably heightened prices this year because of the pandemic and them trying to get the revenue in. They paid for a product that was nowhere near what they signed up for, which is also a shame for those fans. And a shame for the fans in the Denver TV market got blocked out of the Chiefs Broncos, Chiefs Buccaneers game because they got stuck watching that slop. Yeah, that's, you're right. There's consequences all down the line from the fans in the game to the to the fans at home to the people who put in legal bets in las vegas and new jersey to the fantasy football players it's all in all in all those people all got chipped by the nfl uh and but it's because the nfl doesn't care all they care about is we need to get to the playoffs to make money all they care about it is all they care about, and we've heard for a long time they've resisted the idea of the home team bubble in terms of, like, putting people in the hotels, and I get that, like, but given the numbers around the country, you want to play safely. I feel like that's the only way you can really do it at this point from here on out. Yeah, uh, well, they, they have to play, play it safe because they're in jeopardy of not being able to finish a season, and, like, we're going to get there. I mean, we've been alluding to it, but they're, the governments are not going to put up with this forever. They're going to make them stop. And, uh, and when that happens, they're in jeopardy. So they have to, they have to put an end to it. Uh, it, it. Keep going back to baseball because that's the only sport that we really saw play a season during, during this. But, uh, but if you remember, we had that emergency Rob Manfred press conference or conference call, rather, to Tony Clark telling him, get, get your guys in order. And after that, it looked like baseball got themselves together. The NFL needs to, they got to get their guys together. And ASAP, and that, that's everybody in the room. That's assistant coaches, head coaches, everybody. Because they are in trouble of not being able to finish this season. Yeah, they really are. And before we move on to the government issues, I do want to point out that the league has denied Denver's request because they claim they don't move gains for competitive reasons. They only move them for medical ones. And I think the problem with that logic here, especially like if you're getting into the playoffs time, like what happens if you are, say, the Kansas City Chiefs and, God forbid, Patrick Mahomes contracts coronavirus before the second round of your playoff game and he can't play? 
just going to say, oh, sorry, Kansas City, you're out. You can't defend the Super Bowl title. I feel like that's a really lame excuse to give to the Chiefs fans. It's, it's a lame excuse. To come, it's, a, it's a BS excuse for, uh, I know this is a yeah, that's family-friendly broadcast, but it's a BS excuse. That's what it is. Uh, the, 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 all this is is the schedule. They didn't want to move the game because they didn't want to jigger with the schedule. But the, the, the competitive balance and health issues need to coincide with one another because they do coincide with one another. And, you know, the NFL may not want to admit it, but there's a big difference between telling me that the team has no quarterback versus the team has no punter. It changes the competitive balance of the game. The league knows that. And they should have kicked the game. And, and if something like this happens again, I don't know what they do. I guess the precedent's set now. So, you, like you said, if this happens to the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs, I guess the Kansas City Chiefs are going home. And, and maybe that's the motivator. Maybe that's what they these guys have to tell each other in the locker room. You got to be careful because, uh, you know, if Pat, if Pat Mahomes gets COVID, we're going to lose, guys. Uh, it's, it's that simple. We're going to lose. So let's let's all be careful. Make sure we don't bring COVID into this locker room. Yeah, and the NFL also has been hypocritical. It's all about fo- their whole message about all oh, football is family. This is like we're a community deal. But the NFL is showing you right now they care only about the NFL. They don't they could care less. It goes on in the community as long as they get their two hundred fifty six games in and they make their TV money. Yeah, that, that's that's all the NFL cares about. There's there's no community here. There's no effort to protect the community. There's no effort to even set an example. I mean, you're t- you're telling me that they have closed door meetings so they aren't wearing masks. People aren't wearing masks in strength and conditioning rooms. That that's that that that's just plain out, plain flat out wrong. Uh, there, there's you know there's wherever you stand on this debate or whether should we be open, should we not be open? Just about everybody agrees that we need to take precautions. We need to wear masks when we're doing things like having closed door meetings or working out in gyms. And I don't know why the NFL has determined that these rules don't apply to the NFL. And, and they'll deny it. They'll say, oh, you know, there's rogue teams. We tell them that they're not supposed to do that. But what are they going to do about it? Are they going to punish anybody? No. Because they, because they really don't care. All they care about is, did we get the 256 in? What were the ratings? And let's get to the playoffs and get that TV money. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And right now we have coming up here, we have five weeks of the regular season left, and we have a team right now that does not have a home because the San Francisco 49ers play out in Santa Clara. They have been basically on a deal with the local government for the whole season in terms of, okay, we're permitting you to practice here and you can play here, but you have to follow our rules. The city, the county of Santa Clara basically over the weekend announced that they are imposing strict coronavirus measures trying to curb the spread. They include... Anybody from coming in from 150 or more miles away has to quarantine for 14 days. You can't practice or play professional sports for at least three weeks. 49 is basically out of a home right now. So can you explain a little bit more about like what's going on here with San Francisco? So this is what I was alluding to earlier. Uh, and now I guess we could jump into it. So, you know, a uh, little civics 101 lesson here. But in America, uh, the way that our system of government is set up is it's it's extremely local and and oftentimes it goes down to the county. So forget about the the state by state variations. There can be county by county variations. So what may be perfectly okay in Los Angeles 
is not okay in Santa Clara County because Santa Clara County, County in uh, California decided that they need to curb the spread. And part of that is they shut down sports, including the 49ers. The 49ers asked for an exemption. They said, no, there's not going to be an exemption for you. There's not going to be an exemption for anybody. Uh, so figure it out. So what that means essentially is what you said for the next three weeks, the 49ers are not going to be able to practice or play in their home stadium, which is located in Santa Clara County. So what do they do? I suppose they can move their stadium and I imagine the NFL will try and do that. to try and get them into a different County, uh, hopefully not too far away that will allow them to play. Uh, but this is, this is what I fear with the NFL. So it's, uh, it's no secret that different states and even different local governments are handling the pandemic very differently. So, uh, you know, Florida has taken a more lax approach down there with, uh, with their governor. To, so I, I would imagine that, you know, the, the Bucks and the Dolphins are never going to have an issue like this. But California has taken a more strong stance, and that's even stronger by county. Uh, so now Santa Clara's acted. L.A. County, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they may ha- enact some sort of a similar rule. And that'll obviously jam up the Chargers and the, the Rams. Uh, so, so it's a big problem. And then here, that, that's why you have fans in some stadiums and not others. And this is what the NFL needs to worry about because some states are not going to be their friends and some counties are not going to be their friends. And Santa Clara County right now is not the NFL's friend. They put them in a bind and they better hope that they don't get that in other places. I, I heard something also that I believe it was uh, in Pennsylvania that they wanted to wear masks on the playing field now as well. Yes, so, uh, that, I've heard so that there, as well. That's that's something that's accurate. And as of right now, I think the Eagles claim they were exempt from this, but we, again, we haven't seen it in action yet because they haven't played a game in Pennsylvania since that ruling came out. But as you point out, it's kind of like similar what happened with the Raptors and with the Blue Jays in baseball, where Toronto, the government of Canada said, no, you can't bring teams in. You can't fly in and out at your, at your leisure here. So I, I understand right now the leader of the clause is they're going to play in Arizona because they and the Cardinals play basically opposite home schedule. So that's not an issue, but you can't have a situation going where all of a sudden you have four or five teams having to relocate because the local government say no. And and that's what I'm fearing could happen. I could see LA County jumping on this bandwagon uh, that, yeah, we're going to kick you out of here too. And uh, it's it, the NFL can't have it. You could have, you know, you could have Pennsylvania telling you, well, Look, you got to wear masks on the playing field now. Is that the end of the world? Maybe not, but it certainly is not going to be good for the may hurt the competitive balance. But the NFL is running into an issue where these different local governments throughout the country are going to enforce their regulations how they see fit. And if the NFL is not giving them any reason, any confidence, reason to be confident in its ability to curb the spread of this thing, the teams aren't going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, the counties are not going to give them the benefit of the doubt, and that's what's going on. That's what happens in Santa Clara, and I fear it's going to happen elsewhere. Yeah, I could see that being a big problem, especially if we start getting some of these counties, like just sort of shutting things down, because the NFL also has a public relations problem at hand, because obviously they're getting tested every day, and they've gotten criticism about, oh, like, they're hogging tests, and we know that they are not technically doing that because they are paying for their own tests, and those are not be created. The NFL is not paying for them. But at the same time, they're getting the rapid turnaround. It just means that they're using these labs, the same labs that the local governments are using to get the results. And they're basically getting, paying, saying, hey, 
Plus, at the front of the line, it's taking your, your neighbor longer to get his test results because the NFL needs theirs every 24 hours. Yeah, and, and that, that's, that's a PR problem. Uh, that, that's, that's exactly what's going on. So the NFL is getting their test done every 24 hours. and We have doctors and nurses who are waiting and waiting and waiting on results. Uh, it's, some county governments are just not going to put up with this anymore. Not, not if they also, you know, what, what really is going to upset them is that they don't see an effort. It, it, the NFL showed them, hey, we're trying. We're, we're trying to comply. I think it's one bit, one thing, but they're, they're not even, to me, it's from an outside looking in, does it look like they're trying to you? Nope. It doesn't look like they're really making much of an effort to me, and, and I don't think certain local governments are going to tolerate that. They're going to say, well, why are we condoning this? Why are we giving you special exemptions? You know, uh, we got Al's Diner. They're putting in all the COVID protocols that they can and we're jamming them up. Why are we giving you guys all the leeway you want? And then you're not even going to wear a mask. So I think that's, that's part of what's going on there. Yeah. And the NFL, I said a memo of the weekend saying, Hey, unless you're on the field, wear a mask at all times. We have to see like how much that gets followed. But the other thing I think it's concerning here, if you're the NFL is the fact that like the numbers now, are far, far worse than they were when this pandemic first started. We shut everything down. And I get granted, they're not the only sport playing right now. We have the college football still going on. They become their own mess of a sideshow with like 15 games they can cancel or postpone every week. College basketball, the scheduling the nightmare because you have some in bubbles, some not in bubbles, no consistency over what the protocol is. Somebody tests positive for COVID in the program. But the NFL right now, like they're, they have five weeks left in the regular season. Like, what do you think is the threshold here? You think it's just enough government saying you can't play to shut them down? Yes, that, 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 that's what I think is the only way that this ends. If the government tell them, you're done. You're not going to, we're, we're sorry, you're not going to keep playing. And I don't think, to be clear, I do not think governments want to do that. I, I think they want to continue to allow these guys to play because it, it helps their message of stay home, curb the spread if you can give somebody something to watch on television. So I, I don't, and that's been Governor Cuomo in New York. That's been one of his uh, messages all along. If you remember back in baseball, he was saying, yeah, bring the Blue Jays here. He got them into Buffalo. And, and part of the reason for that was his theory was, hey, if there's sports on TV, people stay home and watch them. But there does come a tipping point where people are going to shut things down. And uh, something else happened right before Thanksgiving that plays into this. And that was uh, the Supreme Court came out a ruling and it shot down one of Governor Cuomo's regulations about how many people could be in places of worship, churches, synagogues, that kind of thing. And the reason that that's relevant here is that what, what the court harped on in, their, in its ruling was that the places of worship were being treated differently than some other quote-unquote, non-essential businesses. Uh, and that's exactly what governments are afraid of happening now. So that's why a government like Santa Clara has to shut down. You, what's the justification? Why are we treating the NFL differently than we're treating other businesses? You, you run into potential legal issues, and that's why you see these regulations that are coming out now that apply equally across the board to all dif- all businesses, no matter uh, if you're within the non-essential category, which the NFL is, then we're going to apply the regulations to you uniformly. There's not going to be exemptions. And that's, that's 
jeopardizes their ability to finish the season. Yeah, it definitely does. And I think my follow-up with this is just sort of the idea of just thinking about, like, the other thing Risky NFL runs into here is, like, obviously you can tell teams mask up, mask up, be smart, do whatever you want. But, like, if you're a team like, say, the Jets, and you're 0-11 and you're going nowhere, like, how motivated am I to follow the protocols? Because my season's going to be over in five weeks, and, like, I can't see my family because I'm going to play five meaningless football games. I mean, apart from the paycheck, there's not much they can do to keep these like underachieving teams on the hook. That's just the money. That, that's, that's the only thing you got is the money. And the money's meaningful to professional football players. They, you know, life, uh, life, not life expectancy, sorry, career expectancy, two to three years for most guys. So, uh, every game, every paycheck counts. So that's what you got. You got the money. You want to get your money, you got to follow the rules. And I think that people will do so in that regard. But I think that what, what people just let their guard down. It, it's not easy. Uh, and I think we got to stress that. It's not easy to be in your normal workplace. You know, these, these are people who have been in locker rooms playing football their whole lives since they were little kids. It's not easy to change your normal behaviors in a locker room, in a gym, in a, in a conference room during the quarterback meeting and uh, it takes constant reminders. But unfortunately with something like this, one, one slip up, you know, uh, just one that you let your guard down once and you can really get knocked out by this virus. And that's what seems like it's going on right now with the Ravens. Yeah. And we'll see if they play on Tuesday, but I think our prediction here, and I think we might get a week 18. I think the, clear thing we've learned here is that this NFL is just going to plow forward. The schedule is going to go on as much as they possibly can do it. And until enough governments tell them you can't play ball here, they're going to basically just plow, plow ahead and get through their season. Yeah, that's, that's what I think is correct. I agree with you. I think that the NFL is going to play until, as long as governments let them play. If the governments don't let them play, they're probably going to try and find some friendly governments like Florida and Arizona and go to those governors and say, let us bring our business to you. Yeah, and I think for the smartness of all this, I think the easiest way to get out of this problem, and I know this is involves a separate issue, you have to pay the players more to basically give up living at home with their families for another month and a half and go to the hotels early, but I think you have to do that. You have to go to them and say, look, we need to finish this. Here's a little more cash up front. You guys can start staying in hotels, going from the facility and back until then. The 49ers are going to be the one team doing it for sure, and why not just extend to the other 31? If, if you could work it out with the union, yeah. Uh, and again, that's an easier thing to work out in football than it is in baseball simply because the, the paycheck means so much more to a football player than it does a baseball player because of the, the average guy is only going to get 32 of them or 48 of them or more than that for the most part. So everyone counts. And uh, so, yeah, if you tell them you want that paycheck, you got to go stay in a hotel. I think a lot of players will be amenable to doing that. Yeah, I think it is. And, Phil, I want to thank you for all your time. Before I let you go, I want to touch quick on the election stuff. That we think I want to give us a little pat in the back here. We did, I think we did hit the nail on the head pretty much about all the stuff we discussed back in November. Yeah, uh, it looks like the only – you and I got were wrong on Florida and North Carolina, but otherwise it looks like we – hit the map pretty perfectly. Uh, and, you know, the numbers, they were what they were. Uh, I, I understand that the president is still disputing the results and 
filing lawsuits and recounts, but anybody following the news, no, it's not working. Uh, bottom line is the numbers speak for themselves. He, he lost, lost the election. Uh, looks like a big reason why he lost was the use of mail-in voting, which we told, we told the listeners during the podcast that mail-in votes were going to go heavily to the Democrat, and they did. Uh, it's really no surprise. Everybody knew that uh, just because of the different uh, messages and different philosophies about how to handle the pandemic from the two different parties and their voters followed. Um, so I think we, we did hit the nail on the head pretty much with the numbers. Uh, it's, I guess the president can continue to try his legal options, but I mean, he's basically out of options now. I think, I think the only thing he's got left is, uh, over the weekend, he lost a case in the federal court in the Third Circuit, which is the court that takes appeals from Pennsylvania. So he can appeal that one to the Supreme Court, see if they take it. But, uh, I mean, even if they take the case, last I saw, it was about 6,500 votes that were at issue in the case. And he lost that state by 80,000. So I don't, I don't know what the Supreme Court's going to do for him. So seems like he's at, his legal options are just about over. But, uh, but we did hit the, hit the nail on the head with the numbers. Yeah, we also did hit the nail on the head with the whole, like, I argue with the thoughts about the post-election theories that, hey, the judges, they don't want to hear, like, nonsense out of the evidence. And, like, unless you see this evidence of voter fraud pop up right after the election or, like, on election day, you're not going to find it. And so far, I mean, the record speaks yourself. It's 139 to this point, including three recount losses. So that tells you all you need to know. Yeah, and uh, and you know the the fraud thing. Uh, just just for anybody who's listening to this, uh, and I know it's not a political podcast, but the, don't don't believe the fraud thing because that's not even what these lawsuits are about. And you don't have to take my word for it. Rudy Giuliani admitted it in open court. He told the court, "This is not a fraud lawsuit." And the reason it's not a fraud lawsuit is there's no evidence of fraud. So what they came up with is constitutional and other sort of technicality challenges. Uh, well, the mail-in voting, you, you, you weren't allowed to do it in this method. You had to actually do that method. or You needed to use blue, blue ink, not black ink, stuff like that. Uh, because they, there was no evidence of fraud. They couldn't find it. They weren't able to present it to the court. And the, the only cases that they did were, you know, some... One guy heard another guy say that he may have seen another guy do something. That that's not going to hold it in a court of law. So uh, don't don't. You may hear fraud, and that may be the word that they use in the media, but it's not the word that they've been using in the courts. Yeah, and another thing to point out as as several of the judges I've been following this closely have been saying about this process, just because you say it's unfair, is not me. It actually, is unfair. Yeah, uh, and and the other problem that they have is is the remedies that they're asking for. So take this Pennsylvania case I was talking about, for instance, uh, the federal lawsuit. The challenge there is actually very simple. Um, in Pennsylvania, some counties allowed people who voted by mail to what's called cure their ballots. So that means if you made some sort of mistake, let's say you, you didn't sign it in the right spot, the county could call the voter and say, hey, we got your ballot. Uh, you filled it out incorrectly. Please come down to the county office between 9 and 5 on Monday to Friday, and we can fix it. 
and they let people come down and fix it that way. Other counties said, no, we're not going to do that. If you fill it out wrong, that's on you. Follow the direction. The, and that, that was under Pennsylvania law. That's the county's right to make that decision. But the, the Trump campaign sued and said, hey, that, that violates the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution. You're not treating all the voters equally. Uh, and, and in order to do that, they found two guys in counties that didn't let them cure who, I guess, wanted to vote for Trump and filled out the ballot wrong. But in a normal lawsuit, those two guys would say, well, court, uh, I want you to make my votes count, my our individual vote count. Or even I want you to make my vote count and anybody else who has a similar situation who filled out their ballot wrong, their vote count. But that's not what these guys did. Instead, they said, because of this, you need to invalidate the 6.5 million votes in the state to throw them all out and uh, pretend the election never happened. That that just doesn't add up. And that's in the judges. I mean, he really railed into Giuliani for that in court. He's like, well, what is this? Why, why are you asking me to do this? I'm not going to disenfranchise six and a half million people. If, if you think there was a problem with your individual vote, then maybe we could fix your vote. But why do we need to you know, take the right to vote away from other people? Uh, and there's really no good answer to that because there's just no, I mean, not, don't take my word for it again. Read the, read the court papers. The judge wrote uh, that the court had searched, you know, the case books all the way back to the English Middle Ages. And they couldn't find a single case where somebody attempted to invalidate six and a half million votes because they thought that their vote wasn't treated fairly. Doesn't exist. Yeah, it definitely does. And Phil, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. And coming up, all right. coming up next, I'm going to also dive into our weekly Mandalorian recap with Kevin Lillis right after this. back here talking the mandalorian chapter 13 the jedi joining me today on the line somebody i last talked to in september we did nfl picks with this guy kevin lillis here kevin how are you uh, mike i'm good how are you doing doing pretty good i have to say it's a lot more fun watching this than watching the jets play uh yeah very much so <laughs> uh at, at least it has a happier ending at, at every episode whereas the jets are just this is a bad topic to start on, Mike. <laughs> put, put it this way. It's like, I'm as happy after the Jets lose a game as I am watching, this epi- watching these episodes of the show. But you know what? If the Jets keep losing, I, I really don't think that uh, what's-his-name from Clemson is going to come out because who would want to join this organization if Adam Gase is still at the helm? Well, he's not going to be at the helm. They're going all in 16. Even I, I just counting down the days he leaves. I don't know, and the Hugh Jackson went 0-16 in Cleveland, and he was, in, I think he was back the following year. Yeah, but that's not, that's not neat. So, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to count on anything just yet, but um, yeah, let's get talking to something a little bit more entertaining. <laughs> yeah, let's get a little more entertaining. Talk about the Mandalorian. Tell me, what, like, what drew you into this show when, you, when it first came out? Oh, uh, well, I mean, growing up in 
like my dad got me into the Star Wars trilogies. And when you saw Boba Fett in Empire Strikes Back, he just had this, you know, presence on screen, this uh, anonymity that, you know, he looks so cool. You don't know who he is. He has such few lines. Usually, like, in movies and TV shows, the characters that have the fewest lines are sometimes the most memorable. Like, I always say Creed in The Office is one of the best characters in TV because he has so few lines. And those few lines that he says are always gold. And that to me, that was like Boba Fett because he had a very small appearance in the original trilogy spoke very little, but he had made such an impression on Star Wars fans forever. And even when the um, Phantom Menace and the Clone Wars and Revenge of the Sith came out and you got into Jango Fett and learning about the clones, and then you saw a young Boba Fett, and then came the Mandalorian. And I remember when they were talking about making a Mandalorian TV show, I said, I don't know how this is going to work. Um, because Boba Fett spoke so little, because Jango Fett wasn't really that featured. <clears throat> but they managed to work with it because of um, Grogu, which we found out is the name of Baby Yoda. <laughs> so it's unbelievable that, you know, a television title character who doesn't reveal his face is able to be so successful because he has this little partner by his side, his little good luck token, as he likes to refer to it in this latest episode. Yeah, it is. But uh, that's what drew me to, you know, the Mandalorian race, or excuse me, the Mandalore. Yeah, Mandalorian race from the planet Mandalore. It's, um, I don't know. I, I think it has to do with the the seclusion of the race or whatever that makes it like the Jedi's are cool. The Seth are, the Sith are cool, but the Mandalorians are like, you know, wear a mask. You don't know who they are. You know, it's this anonymity, anonymity, anonymity thing that people love about, about the Mandalorians. And that's what drew me to it. Yeah. I think it's a definitely a very fun show because this is very different, very classic star Wars, the way it compared to like the sequel trilogy got very lost at points and, getting convoluted, doing all sorts of crazy things. This is very much like, okay, it's a simple world. We're following this guy around, and he's got his code of ethics. He's got his little sidekick, and we're going all around the galaxy seeing like all the outliers, and that's a lot of fun to me. Yeah, it's kind of like I was reading an article there a few weeks ago, and they kind of make it like a seem like a video game quest, and it, and it, and it makes sense because we're jumping from planet to planet to planet to planet, uh, all you know, planets that are mentioned in, in canon. And John Favreau is really lucky to have Dave Filoni as a, not, not only as like a, as a partner, but as like a really close friend. The two of them work really well together. I just want to see more um, episodes or um, uh, things from Taika Waititi, especially if he's going to be taking on, I don't know, I keep hearing the rumors that the next three Star Wars trilogy episodes that are going to come out rumor to come out would possibly be filmed by or directed by Taika Waititi. So um the, the Guardian the Guardians or not the Guardians, um Thor. Um Ragnarok. Why can I think of it? Yes. And uh he's he's brilliant. And he was IG he was the IG unit in the first Mandalorian season. He was very witty, very funny for a robot. Um but uh yeah, I mean so far the season has been pretty 
up until now, this this season two, I'm not gonna lie, I was kind of it was kind of lukewarm to me. But this latest episode, this latest episode is probably the like the most important episode of the two seasons right now, in in my opinion. I mean, we learned a lot, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, you, I don't know how you want to break this down, but yeah. I mean, there's a lot to there's a lot to unpack in this episode. There is, and we're not gonna wait any longer. Put the good old spoiler warning up. Yep. <laughs> Okay, if you have not seen Chapter 13, The Jedi of the Mandalorian, stop the podcast, go watch the episode if you don't care about if you care about being spoiled. Otherwise, stick around with us because it's a lot to go, go in with. And we, we were teased two episodes ago about ah- Ahsoka Tano coming back into the show. And we start right there. And I think like her introduction sequence where she's picking off all these like uh, soldiers in the jungle, in the forest, and then we see the showdown outside the, outside the town. That was a very fun way to introduce her to, this, to the show. It was it was great, and that what like my first thought about that episode wasn't just Ashoka just yet. It was the atmosphere of where she was, and it kind of reminded me of um, that Game of Thrones episode, the long the long night, the one that everyone was always annoyed about because of how dark it was. But they did a really good job, partially because Ashoka's got these two bright lightsabers, so she's able to you know you're able to see her, but she's able to mold back into the into the dark with her cloak and take out these, these, these soldiers that are working for the, the magistrate. But that, that the feel of the beginning was, was really, really good. And the new cat, like I love how every episode has like a cameo, but this one, this is a big cameo for me because the Terminator, Michael Bean was in it. The uh, Reese from the Terminator, as well as uh, what he was also an aliens. Uh, I can't think of his name, but, um, yeah, the the the, the cameo selection and Rosario Dawson as Ashoka is is so spot on, and she carries herself just the way, just like she did in in Clone Wars and Rebels. Yeah, they also did a spot on job with like the makeup too. It looks exactly like the cartoon version, which I think props to them for getting every detail correct there. Yep, and honestly, I didn't expect Rosario Dawson to be picked. I I had no idea who could play Ashoka in live action, but she. She's she's fulfilled it, and I really hope this isn't the only time or the last time that we see her. Yeah, I mean, we get this battle. They go. She goes to the basically the edge of this town. We see Reese from the Terminator there. We see the magistrate up on top of there, and Ahsoka basically says, "Give my information, or I'm gonna like, tear your town apart." And you have a day to comply. And then as we get the next day, we see Mando shows up in town and looking for information. And I thought it was definitely. A fun sequence there, especially once we get in and see from his point of view the two separate worlds of town. We see like the village part where it's basically blocked off. It's like really in poverty, and then you go behind the gate and you see like the Japanese garden style, like Zen fortress the magistrate lives, and definitely a nice little dichotomy between the two uh, styles of living in that area. Yes, yeah, that's what I have to say. Like the the atmosphere that was on this, like Dave Filoni wrote and directed this episode, and you could kind of tell because like. John Favreau's when he writes and directs, or if it's anyone else, because sometimes they bring in the guest directors. There's not so much a dark aspect. Like Dave Filoni is able to bring that dark aspect to it because he's basically the keeper of the Star Wars lore. I mean, he knows everything about anything, and I I love seeing him in. I think it was Episode Two when he was the X-wing, uh, the the New Republic X-wing pilot. Um, 
which was which was really cool. But um, Dave Filoni is you know he is he is the man for this episode. I'm really hoping to see him write and direct a few more, and possibly like Ashoka is a like the Mandalorian is a big character, but we don't know anything about him. But Ashoka is a massive character in in Star Wars, like in between the trilogies, she is a, she is a huge critical character because she was Anakin's apprentice. And, you know, they kind of allude to that. I don't know if you want to jump to that right now when uh, the Mandalorian meets Ashoka and Ashoka finds out the name of baby Yoda being Grogu and the whole um, connection that baby Yoda has with the Mandalorian, even though the Mandalorian was tasked to give, Grogu to a Jedi, Ashoka can't train her, train uh, Grogu because of the connection that Grogu has with Mandalorian. And it, it you kind of get that reference when she says, I, I see what happens to Jedis when they can't let go of their feelings, like what happened to Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, we'll get more into that in a minute. But obviously, we're going to yeah. the, go to the village. We, we make make a note of the random guy that Mando tries to get information from. He'll, he'll come up again later. But we do see him meet with the magistrate, and she has a spear. May a solid best. Oh yeah, spot. that best that spear was pretty dope. I mean, that's an incredible weapon. I can see why she thinks, oh, this is enough to tempt him because he'll want the best car and he'll want the spear and he'll go do my dirt and kill Soka to know for me. It's a Mandalorian weapon, this spear, which makes me wonder, like, this, the, the history behind the Magistrate. They kind of go into it a little bit in uh, in this episode, but the Magistrate loses her family and her people during the, the Clone Wars. But it makes me wonder how she was able to get a hold of, um, of, of a spear like this. I can only imagine that, you know, a Mandalorian may have visited this, this planet before that they may have, you know, they may have killed. And that's how they got a hold of, uh, of, of the spear. But uh, Beskar is because Beskar is so important to the Mandalorian race. Yeah, it really. But is. also, want to see like a bit more back backstory to the magistrate, so we can. I can only imagine like the, the next couple of episodes, they should really start to take off because the previous episode to this left us with a really, really big army in in waiting, and we never got to see any more of it in this episode. But I mean, I guess you can only put so much into into an hour. Yeah, indeed, and I think the magistrate's name is is Morgan Elsbeth. Is this a character from mm-hmm. the Clone Wars show, or is this a new character they invented for Mandalorian? Uh, she was from the Clone Wars. She was in, she was slightly mentioned in the closed Clone Wars show. Uh, she didn't have a she didn't have a big um, big uh, big role, but the, um, the one character from the Clone Wars, his name has been mentioned in this episode, but I don't know if we want to get to that just yet. I have a lot to, I, I'm, I'm super excited about this episode, Mike, because for my debut on the, to, to talk about the Mandalorian, I got quite the episode to talk about. Yes, you did. And I mean, for anybody who knows Dave Filoni, director of this episode, like as Kevin mentioned, he's sort of the keeper of the animated star Wars lore. Like he was the big voice behind clone wars and rebels, the two animated series that they've been bringing more into Canon as a result of the Mandalorian into the live action universe. And, it makes a ton of sense that he's got a ton of references from both shows into these episodes, and it's basically interesting plot elements that could help bring the show forward. We figured out back in season one with interest of Darksaber in the finale. But anyway, we do get the meeting going forward here. We do say Mando go out into the jungle. He never explicitly agrees to kill Ahsoka Tano. Then they have the fight there, and I do think it was very cool that like Mando gets himself owned very quickly in that fight. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was... 
well, I didn't know how it was going to play out because I, we've never really seen the Mandalorians and Jedi's fight in 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 any of the the movies. They never. I mean, besides Luke with a little fight with Boba Fett in in uh, Return of the Jedi, as well as like a slight like. I don't know, duel in uh, the Empire Strikes Back and in the Cloud City, but I mean, we never really saw a big fight between Jedi and Mandalorian, so we never really knew how it was going to go. But now we know that Beskar Steel is able to hold up two um, lightsabers because you know that a lot of people immediately think like Star Wars, you know, like the casual Star Wars fan, they 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 could see this lightsaber as being able to cut through anything, but Beskar is so incredibly strong that even like some lightsabers aren't able to penetrate and able to penetrate through it. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a quick little fight, but I, I I knew it wasn't going to go any further than a little duel between the two of them. Yeah. Then Mando stops and this basically says, Hey, Bo-Katan sent me and I have this, I have to talk to you. And she figures out about the child and, she basically has a little power with him. He doesn't speak, but they can communicate telepathically with the Force. And we, we have a lot of information about his backstory here. We learn his name is Grogu, and that he was raised on a Jedi temple in Coruscant. He got hidden during the Purge. So that's why he ended up getting slaughtered. He stays there for a while. He gets taken from the temple eventually, and that's where his memory goes away because he senses a lot of darkness there. So what do you think of that big info dump we got on Grogu? That was a massive information dump to have because now we found out that he was actually being trained. Like there was this kind of feeling that he was just, I don't know, stumbled upon by, you know, regular people that found that he was force sensitive. But now we find out he was actually being trained at the Jedi Temple at Coruscant and he managed to live uh, through Order 66 as well. And, and, you know, we now have two beings, two Jedi, excuse me, that lived through Order 66. It was Shoka and now... Uh, the child, which makes you wonder, like how many other um, being, how many other Jedi are out there that 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 lived um, through the purge. Um, uh, there was in the video game, the 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 new Jedi video game that came out. There was a, you played a character that that escaped the purge, which gave you like this really cool look into how um, the Empire was falling into place back then, and it. I like to see all these side stories because we didn't really know what happened to Ashoka after the end of Rebels. And it's going to maybe pan out to maybe some flashback episode for Baby Yoda. I don't know, escaping like Yoda did during the Purge um, through like the hidden vents, which makes you wonder if maybe Yoda rescued Baby Yoda (laughs) and and managed to, to rescue him somehow. I don't, think, um, I don't think it's Baby Yoda rescuing because they, she she basically a point to say that it's very dark after he gets taken from the temple. So you don't know, like, maybe he's a more sinister force takes him. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. that's a good idea. Yeah. And, that's, and then like, maybe he suppressed the memory because like, it's not a good one at that point. So Maybe it was, uh, what's the name of the doctor? Uh, not the doctor. Um, God, uh, the, the bad guy in the first episode, the, the, the famous director. I can't think of his name. Oh God, uh, Werner. Um, um, Werner. Yeah, Werner, Werner Herzog, that yeah. uh, famous uh, that that director. Maybe he had some kind of a of a, a deal in in getting Baby Yoda out of the temple. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, she she talks to him. We get the info dump, and then we learn. And then she's gonna test him the next morning, and then they do like a very simple test of, oh, I have a rock. Like, get, like take the rock from me with the force. He doesn't want to do it. Mando, she has Mando step in to do it, and then Mando can't get to do with the rock, but 
she brings out the little toy lip like ball from the lever from Mando's ship that he tried that he wants to play with all the time and then he immediately just takes with the force and then Ahsoka's like I can't do this he's too attached to you and as you point out earlier this is clearly a direct reference to what happened with Anakin Skywalker he's like I don't want to send this kid down this path yeah I think I did yeah. a very good callback it was a spectacular callback but I mean this is to be expected from such a big character like Ashoka. I mean, she had such a huge role in the animated universe that we we need to. But she didn't unpack it. We were too much for like I. I always imagine that that this that this show is like mostly being watched by a super Star Wars fan and then like a casual partner next to him or or someone like that. So it's great when I'm able to talk someone to someone like you, Mike, where. I'm able to geek out on this stuff because Ashoka, like Ashoka could have her own TV show as is honestly, like her own live action TV show as is. And I wouldn't be surprised because she's still on her quest that wasn't completed during, during rebels. Like this is, it, she's such a big character. They can't just leave it here. And I, and I have a feeling they're going to follow the same recipe where at the end episode of this of the season is going to involve everyone that has come that that Mando has come across in these past couple episodes. So I don't know. And we also the still the the Razor Crest is still being tracked. So you know the 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 Empire is following him to get to Baby Yoda or Grogu. I have to start calling him Grogu now. Yeah, I think like all of them interchangeable here. But we do end up having this sequence here where Mando basically says, "Look, like." They sent me to kill you. I promised I wouldn't do that. I didn't promise anything at this point, but like I was tasked to get into a Jedi. So here's the deal. I'll help you with your problem. We'll free the village and then you train the child, which she goes along with. And we get the very fun sequence where they're trying to take the village back. And she comes in, basically says, look, I killed your Mandalorian. You sent after me, like, give me your information or, or like, and you'll get to live, and we get this whole fight out where she takes all the soldiers off, Mando flies in, frees the prisoners from the those very awful prison uh, towers that they had going on there, and they do get a lot of, like, the light, light play again, they do this like, battle again at night, and this gave me vibes of the episode on the Republic prison ship in season one where we had the dark, and we see the soldiers creeping around, and we see, like, Ahsoka coming up behind them as she kills them, like, very fun vibes compared to that past episode. Yeah, well, she, I mean, she's very like um, the 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 setting of and of Kaladin gave us that kind of like um, the Seven Samurai type feel. Like it had obvious very Asian influence, Asian Japanese uh, Asian influences in style and architecture, and the atmosphere of this planet undergoing climate change because the Magistrate is using the planet to build help. Well, when she was helping to build the Imperial Starfleet, um, so the, the 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 dust and the fog and the 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 change in the atmosphere like helped Ashoka act kind of like a ninja almost in this Asian felt planet, and she was able to use you know these dark alleyways to her advantage and the rooftops like a ninja would. Yeah. But I mean. You know, and then you see like those moments where like she pulls up her, her lightsaber and like pulls it across her face, and Rosario Dawson's face lights up, and she kind of gives like this kind of smile, like "Aha, I got you." But I mean, those those soldiers stood no chance. But it was really cool seeing the battle droids that were next to uh, 
next to the magistrate. Those hadn't those haven't made an appearance since uh, since the Clone Wars. No, which I thought was kind of cool. They have not. There's also a big reference back to again one of my favorite games, Nice Old Republic. Those are like the HK assassin droids. Like those. Yes. Are- yeah. This is like the more modern version of it because I think they were called HK eighty sevens in the show. The one yep. in the game was HK forty seven. So this is like several generations advanced. It was definitely a fun poll, and I did like the dueling sort of duels we had here, where it was cool to not have Mando be the main action piece of the final sequence. We had the big fight between Ahsoka and the Magistrate, whereas Mando and our buddy Freeze from Terminator—I forget his actual character name—are outside, basically. Like, as the seconds to the duel, like they're winning and they're waiting to see what happens to the duel. I'm not sure if uh, if Reese had a name in the show if they mentioned it. I I, I'm not sure if they. If, I'm not sure if they did. I think he was just like called the henchman. I, I think that's how he was credited. Yeah. But uh, I'd be interested to know what his um his his name was. Let's call him Reese just to make our lives simpler. Yeah. Oh, Hicks. That's his name from Aliens. Yeah. He played uh he played Hicks in Aliens. I finally remember. It. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was really cool seeing him. He's got kind of like this Dennis Hopper vibe to him. I don't know. He's got like these crazy eyes now. He's definitely uh, aged into this, you know, Dennis Hopper looking dude. And he even sounds a little bit like Dennis Hopper in his younger days, like Speed. Yeah, he does. And they have this exchange outside where they're kind of like, okay, like your your side's fighting my side in there. We'll see who wins. And like, I have no quarrel with you. Basically, he tries to trick him into like letting his guard down. And of course, Manta's not going to fall for that. And epic defeat there for... For good old Reese. Yeah. Oh, that's what I, the other thing that the as you mentioned the dichotomy before between the Japanese gardens and the like the spaghetti western outside showdown with Reese. Um, that I immediately thought of Kill Bill when Ashoka was facing the magistrate, yeah. and it's kind of it's kind of funky because like as I was doing a bit more research into the show, I forgot to mention this that the 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 lady that plays uh, the magistrate, Diana Lee. Uh, her name is uh, Inosanto, I think. Yeah. Um, she's actually the goddaughter of Bruce Lee. Yeah. Which I think is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, and then to have like this Kill Bill esque showdown with Rosario Dawson in this Japanese garden was was really really just it was super cool. And and Michael Bean doing this kind of uh, good and the bad the ugly like putting his weapon down to try and trick the Mando trying to trick Mando, but then Mando just calls him out right there and blasts him. Yeah. And then, like, turns around and blasts the HK-87 unit up on the roof. Because, I, like, I forgot that that unit climbed up on the roof. And, you know, he said, where where is this guy going to come in? Yeah. Yeah, and that one, let's give a hat tip to our random villager guy who, again, who points at me. I was like, hey, look out. And then he gets rewarded for that later on. But we'll go back into the main duel between Ahsoka and the Magistrate. And we get the line after Ahsoka wins that broke the Star Wars internet. Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? I'm sure he's a big Star Wars guy. Your brain just exploded. It is because now they're after introducing like, like, uh, Moff Gideon is a huge, big bad guy character. Like he is the bad guy character for this right now. But now they're after introducing like the next big bad guy character, which is Grand Admiral Thrawn. And I'm, and I'm stuck wondering if he's actually going to be featured in this season because if it does, this is this this is now taking on like a huge character arc. Like Thrawn is one of the most 
like notorious characters, especially from from Rebels and with with Ashoka. Like that is her number one villain. But now, like Gideon is still the Mandalorian's number one villain. But now they're after throwing Thrawn into this. This could really make this this television show just like shoot for the stars now because they're after opening up a huge swath of the galaxy essentially because Thrawn is just so ruthless in his abilities to go and plunder planet to planet to planet. Um, but it makes me wonder, we need to talk about this, like who could play Thrawn? Because I think, in my opinion, Benedict Cumberbatch would play an excellent Thrawn. I don't know what you think. I haven't put any thoughts in there yet, but for the casual audience who's not familiar with Thrawn, when's the last time we actually saw him in Rebels? Oh, God, I can't remember. Um, I need to brush up on my Rebels references the last time I saw him. Yeah, I'm trying to look it up right now because I know that they were stuff basically said like the last we saw in Rebels that he was going off somewhere with like as with Ezra Bridgen. That wasn't the episode where they were uh, fighting when Ashoka f- fights Vader. I don't think that's the same episode with a world between worlds. I can't remember now. Uh... Yeah, but like it's been a minute since he's been since he's been in the show and. It's been like since 2017, 2016. Yeah, and like at least. Yeah, at least another theory we had though. But before we get to the end of the episode, there we do see the village is liberated. Mando gets the best car spear, and our random villager guys are helping out. All of a sudden, he's like now the mayor of the town. Like I feel like that's a very quick decision to make. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> again, someone who doesn't have a lot of lines becomes very important. Yeah. <laughs> I think he said, like, would he? He just said, "Don't talk to us," and then behind you, and now he's the mayor of Kalanen. <laughs> <and Kaladin>. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's an incredible, like, rise to power there. Yeah, it's, it's very, um, like, definitely not Trump esque. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's, it's someone who spoke the least amount and immediately became mayor, unless he was already mayor before uh, what's her face, the magistrate showed up. Maybe he was, like, some kind of leader. I mean, we don't really know much about him. Yeah, but, like, I mean, he's the man of the people. I guess Ahsoka did not want to stick around and be in charge of this village. So she just said, you know, I trust you. You seem like a nice guy. You run the town. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can only imagine. Well, you see, yeah, her mission's not done because she has to – she's on the hunt to find Thrawn. That's her, that's, that's her mission still. Yeah, and then we end up getting to the end of the episode where we think Mando is going to give Grogu over to Ahsoka to be trained, and then she says, I can't do it, like – it's an, I, I just can't do it, and he's like, I still have to get into a Jedi. She tells him, take him to an ancient Jedi temple on Tython, place him on the seeing stone on top of the mountain, the for- and let the child choose his path. He reads out of the forest, another Jedi will come searching for him. So, she also points out that there are not many Jedi left, so I think this is an interesting place to leave off with the quest here, and I think you got to figure that they're going there, and he's going to reach out, and some Jedi will come find him. Yeah, I mean, that's what um, I mean. I, I'm trying to rack my mind as to who, what Jedi is going to is going to going to find him. I mean, there's there's all there there's a lot in the Jedi lore. Um, Tython, I'm not too familiar with being a planet, um, but I mean the 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 Jedi Star Wars game that came out a while ago. You actually kind of follow this path of finding your your kyber crystal and finding your your 
your uh, building your lightsaber, um, which makes you wonder. It must be some kind of temple that is on this planet. And they said the seeing stone, I believe, is what he's going to place Baby Yoda on. Or is it still acceptable to call him Baby Yoda? I think that I'm going to be stuck calling him that from now on. I don't know if I can subject myself to Grogu just yet. Yeah. Um, but I, I, it's it's going to be interesting. I'm, it's going to open up a whole cast of characters that we don't know yet. And there's definitely more Jedi out there. Obviously, because Ashoka had mentioned them, obviously not a lot, but there's still Jedi out there. Um, but it also, I started to speculate more and more. I don't know if you want to get into speculation just yet. Or, I mean, the episode is pretty much done. Yeah, it is. I think we can get to speculation because I have a theory, like a theory out there from IGN about who the Jedi will be, and it's somebody we've seen before in, in Rebels. Oh, you were thinking Ezra? Ezra Bridger seems like the main candidate here because he's also a Mandalorian, so this also might also tie in very nicely to having Mando be connected to this. That's true. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, be, um, who would play Ezra then? There's a, lot, you gotta, there's a lot of buzz on the internet that the guy who who played Owen from Haunting of Blight Manor is a candidate for that role. Oh, man. That, that guy, he in Haunting of Blight Manor as well as uh, Haunting of Hill House, he played uh, the brother. He was he was no, very about, good. No, in, I'm talking about, the, in, talking about, the, talking about the, the guy who plays the cook in Blight Manor. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was the cook. I was thinking I was thinking the brother from Hill House. My bad. Yeah. Uh, uh, Owen? Yeah. As Ezra, yeah, I, I guess I could see it. Yeah, because there's a lot of buzz on the internet about him sort of being cast in that role. It has not been officially confirmed yet, but I feel like Ezra is sort of our leading contender here to be the teacher for Grogu. I could I could see that happening for sure. Um, I, it just makes you wonder. I'm I'm starting to like I'm starting to speculate further, as in a few seasons now from the Mandalorian, which way they can go with this, because maybe I mean Grogu is still very young and you know their race i mean yoda was over 800 years old i believe when he when he died in return of the jedi so like uh, are they gonna for the future of this franchise is baby yoda gonna remain this small is he ever gonna like talk and you know have words is he gonna talk like yoda um you know is this eventually gonna take because we're now we're in between the fall of the empire and the rise of the first order are we going to see an appearance from mark hamill maybe you know when he's putting together the new jedi order and he's raising um kylo ren are we going to see baby yoda take a position like arrival there at that at that temple there's a i don't know how this franchise is going to or is it going to be its own thing you know like is it going to have its own trajectory and make references to what's going on. Like is the, the first order really comes to power 30 years afterwards. And I believe that the Mandalorian takes place like five or 10 years after the fall of the empire. Yeah. I think it's five. So after, we're five after return of the Jedi is what, what we've been told. Okay. So we're getting, so we're starting into the buildup of the first order. Obviously Moff Gideon is trying to, you know, build, make the framework to building it again yeah. because he's just a fanatic. And, it makes me wonder if there is going to be an appearance by Mark Hamill or even like a young, maybe Han Solo will make an appearance as well. Like uh, the guy who played it in the, in the solo movies um, or maybe an appearance from Woody Harrelson. Who knows? I mean, there's a, there's a lot 
to take in here. And the fact that Disney owns the uh, franchise that, and you know, we'll, I don't know. We'll see how it's gonna how it's gonna unpack. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things here. I think obviously, I think the rest of the season, I feel like the track is we're gonna end up in some sort of showdown between Moff Gideon and like Mando and whoever's and whatever t- team of friends Mando can assemble to fight over the child. But that's gonna be coming this year. I feel like we're also sort of on a parallel track here. I think we are pre Battle of Jacket, which is about this time frame. I wonder if we get to see that in the show or at least see the ramifications on Mando's quest. I think that's something we can worth watching here. But I think. Any Grand Admiral throwing stuff, I don't think we're going to see until a Thursday. I feel like it's too late in the game to really get the ball rolling much on that. Yeah, I, I, I would I would agree. I would agree to that. But the Battle of Jakku, that would be a really, really cool thing to see. I want to see more flashbacks. I want to see more of Mando's, like, prior... I want to see his training as a Mandalorian, like, the way when he was growing up. Because all we saw is him being rescued on, on some planet, and then and then all of a sudden, you know, it it, it turns into this brand new, you know, this is, this is the character, and we don't know much about him. Yeah. I think the other unresolved question we have in this episode is, like, is this a wrap for Ahsoka to know this season, or are we seeing her at the end of the year? I think I would go with it, this is a wrap for this season, but she becomes a bigger presence in the future of the show. I would think, I, honestly, if they... I have this creeping suspicion that they're still following the same formula as the last season, where he's going from planet to planet to planet and meeting all these people and kind of assembling a sort of team and I have a feeling they're going to arrive back on uh, some other planet, maybe Navarro, and that's where they fight Moff Gideon there. Or um, Tatooine. And they, you know, because I really, really hope that Boba Fett, who we saw in the first episode of the season at the end, I really want him to make an appearance again because we haven't seen much of Boba Fett's armor since. Like it's a, it's a huge part of of Star Wars. Like for fans, like like Boba Fett's armor is just as iconic as Darth. Well, not Darth Vader's armor is super iconic, but like Boba Fett's armor is just almost almost as iconic as Vader's because of the character that he is, and the fact that we're not seeing that much of him. I, I, I'm I'm expecting the last episode to be this gigantic fight and Boba Fett remake his appearance and wearing the armor once again and maybe fighting alongside Mando. But I'm I'm not I'm not sure yet. Yeah, I think we'll I I don't think we'll see her. That's my personal prediction. I think we'll get our Mandalorian team again. I think we're getting Frog Lady because they love Frog Lady for some reason. Oh. I, yeah, I think we'll get like Cobb Vanth and he, <laughs> showing up in in the end of the show. I don't think we'll see Ahsoka Tano again. I feel like some of these characters are get left for future seasons. Mm, maybe I wouldn't be surprised though if we see like a re- like uh, Ashoka and Ezra reuniting. That would be kind of cool. But you're right; it might not happen at the end of the season. But we need to have some kind of a showdown with Moff Gideon, whether or not Mando is able to defeat him, or you know, uh, Gideon goes off and become still maintains being the villain for the next season. But um, I want to I want the the, the 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 season to stop jumping around from planet to planet so much. Like I I want them to be on uh, one planet for at least like three episodes and you know at one point baby yoda has to be taken or grogu has to be taken away from the mandalorian because there's too there's been too many close calls and it's going to happen sometime and people are not going to like the episode because of it but there needs to be a big moment with baby with grogu you know life being in danger in and that's they, they need that that they need to keep they're they're 
going in a trajectory upwards really, really fast, especially with Ashoka and the introduction of Thrawn and all these characters. But something needs to happen to Baby Yoda in like the next couple of episodes that, that threatens him because that's how you really grip the audience into, into keeping it back. And the Mandalorian has to be able to rescue him. Yeah, I think it's one of two, Patrick. When he's either number one where you get the Tython next episode and then sort of deal with our two-part finale after that. But I think the other option is we end up getting sidetracked on our way to Tython. That sort of gets us into our finale conflict, and he ends up getting there at the end of the season. Those are the two options I think we have laying in front of us. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, Kev, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, is there any social media plus people want to follow you at that, can, that you can give them? Uh, they can just follow me at Castro Photo on Instagram. That's my uh, astrophotography website. I'm waiting for the, the next alignment of Jupiter and Saturn. We'll be the closest to the Earth in 800 years on December 21st, which is the winter solstice, which makes me start to wonder if the Mayans actually had a typo and the end of the world <laughs> is happening in 2021 and not 2012. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to be looking forward to making taking those pictures. And uh, you can follow me on Photo or go to my website, com as well, to see any other astrophotography pictures that I take. All right, Kevin. Thanks, that's again. It. thanks again. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it, Mike. All the best. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. All right, and that will do it for the first show of the week. I want to thank my guest, Phil Freyetta, for coming on to talk about the NFL's latest COVID crisis, and Kevin Willis for hopping on the Mandalorian recap here on the podcast. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at the 30 for 30 on Oscar Pistorius, the life and trials of Oscar Pistorius. I watched all four parts over the Thanksgiving week. Check out the blog over at justsendthesuffering.wordpress.com for my review of the situation and the films and see if you should check it out. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering on any of your favorite podcatchers. Find oral episodes there. Hit that subscribe button. Leave your feedback and star ratings. I like this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips, on YouTube. You can subscribe there. Check out our individual conversation on the podcast, like my conversation with Phil about the NFL's COVID problems. That's going to be coming out shortly. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. Coming up later this week on the podcast, we'll do our Mets offseason preview. We my thoughts on the Mets, do our NFL picks of week 13 with Santa Rosa and more. Until then, stay safe, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.